Hello everyone and welcome to another issue of Cane and Rinse. Uh, in this issue 469, we will be covering Overwatch. Joining me, Joshua Garrity, in this lovely issue is Brian Edwards. I feel like I was Tor Bjorn to be on this podcast. Thank you very much. Well done. Very funny. Uh, Jesse <laughs> Fuchs. There's a siren in the background, so I'll make this quick. <laughs> uh, and Rich Davison. Takes a lick on, keeps on ticking. Lovely. I, I feel uh, left out now. I'm the only one who didn't have a joke. Um, so what is Overwatch? Overwatch is a team-based multiplayer first-person shooter described as a hero shooter with a roster of characters with different abilities inspired by comic book heroes and the works of Pixar and the various animation studios who are also influenced by Pixar. Um, so when was this released? Um, on PC, Xbox One and PS4. It was released in May of 2016, which is almost five years ago. Um it is five years ago, in fact, which is scary. Uh, it released on uh, Switch in October 2019. Um, uh, did anyone play the Switch version, actually, just out of curiosity? I did not, no. Okay, yeah. I I hear that it has issues, but if no one's played it, we can't speak to that. Um, so, obviously, it was developed by Blizzard Entertainment, uh, published by Activision Blizzard, um, so the lead designer director on Overwatch had a bit of a change up recently. So formerly Jeff Kaplan was um, the kind of head and face of the Overwatch team. Uh, Jeff Kaplan has moved on now and, and Aaron Keller has taken over. Uh, Aaron Keller was one of the, the co-founders of the Overwatch team originally, uh, but he's taken a more significant role now. Uh, reviews for the game were very, very positive at launch. Um, Open Critic has it at an average of 91% um, across multiple uh, journalistic outlets. Um, a little bit less positive from the public, though. Um, IMDB has it at 8.4 out of 10 um, from the consumer reviews. Um, I mean, this game was incredibly successful. Um, maybe not as successful as some of the free-to-play Battle Royale uh, multiplayer games that have come out since, but by by any metric, this, this was a, a big success. Um, so across all systems, the game reached at least 35 million players, uh, which is a huge audience. Um, uh, credit to PC Games N uh, for that little tidbit. Um, so let's dive into our histories with this game. I'm going to start with Brian. Yeah, so I, in the preview coverage for this game, I really did not have a lot of interest in it. I'm not sure why um, Why I didn't. Uh, I, I'm not a huge multiplayer shooter um, game player, so it wasn't, um, it wasn't something that was initially on my radar. But then I think it was, I'm not sure if it was uh, Giant Bomb or maybe it might have been uh, kind of funny, but they, there was... Um, some preview coverage leading up to this game where where they were playing it and and I ended up watching a couple of videos and I got just sucked right into the hype it was it was a lot of fun to watch so I picked it up on Xbox One um, on launch and then maybe a year and a half later um, my friends who were on PlayStation all picked it up on PlayStation so I ended up picking it up on PlayStation as well 
Um, and uh, so I owned it on both of the uh, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Um, and I looked at my hour count over the last couple of days and combined between the two consoles, I'm somewhere in the three to 400 hour range of time played with Overwatch. Um, so yeah, I really spent a, a lot of time with it. Um, and I played pretty regularly um, up through and including the release of Doomfist, the character, and then um, kind of fell off a little bit after that, just because I think the group kind of fell, a little, you know, it just wasn't as regular play. But I've dipped in here and there, and and then most recently um, have been kind of playing um, up for the uh, the recording. So yeah, that's kind of my history. I was a day one adopter, although it didn't look like it on the way up, but I I got into the hype. Cool, Jesse. I have no recollection of if I heard of this game before it came out. I may have. It was. I think it was kind of the same thing of a big online multiplayer shooter person. So I probably noticed the pretty colors and then just kind of filed it away in my head or whatever. Um, but the summer of 2016 was the first summer I taught. Um, I teach intro to game design at NYU, and it was nice getting this extra paycheck in the first week or two of that course. Like. I don't know, five of the 11 students bought Overwatch. Uh, and they were they were talking all about it in class the next, you know, uh, day. And I was like, sure. Like, I'll, I'll, I'm normally kind of stingy with, you know, paying 60 bucks for a game I'm not already hyped about. Uh, but I was like, this is worth it, you know. And it sounds fun. It's Blizzard. You know, if anyone can make something like this accessible to someone like me who is not particularly... Uh, into the genre and the way my students were talking about it made it sound like you know and yeah and I bought it and I started playing it I started uh, and have basically finished with Zenyatta uh, as the character I was just instantly like okay I, I get how that works uh, and then you know moved around tried other characters uh, and yeah, looking at my clock, I have I'm is funny because I have about 90 hours, which if this was, you know, Persona, that's like a, a good long length of time for a game. Uh, and that's only counting in-game time when, uh, you know, probably twice as much in terms of sitting in Overwatch, chatting with friends, waiting for a game or et cetera. Uh, but really just makes me a total dabbler. Um, and probably the majority of that time has been spent playing with my nephew. I think that's one thing that is actually not kept me from like i i don't play this game much solo because it's kind of a game for us to catch up and chat uh while playing so that's uh you know a, a lot of what this game is about for me there was a month or two uh toward the beginning where some of the game center people kind of had a group and so i would you know that i would actually play with six people who were trying to cooperate uh and that was an interesting experience uh but for the most part um i i'm here to represent mediocrity uh, I'm here to represent just kind of like, yeah, I, I go in and I get shot and it's fun. Um, and, uh, and I have played it the, the last podcast I was on or two ago was Mario Kart. And I did think, start thinking there are parallels between those two games for me of like things I just will always dip into things that are the accessible version of a genre of game. I have no particular affinity for racing games, multiplayer shooters, uh, and are very colorful and chunky and friendly and and yeah, uh, I, I occasionally I play this game and I will keep occasionally playing this game until Overwatch Two, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I think uh, to to be honest with you, Jesse, I think we all represent the mediocre Overwatch players. <laughs> I was just about to view. say that. I said I hope my yeah. hour count didn't somehow translate to quality of play because that is not <laughs> at all. <laughs> 
Um, cool. So um, I'll I'll give my history here. Um, so uh, I I was a big fan of um, Team Fortress Two. Uh, at least in the early days of Team Fortress 2, I think I, I said on that issue of um, Kane and Rince that it was a game that I kind of started to fall out of love with the more they changed it and the more stuff they added in. I was kind of most in love with that game when it was in its purest form. And um, so when um, Blizzard started talking about Overwatch, I, I immediately saw the kind of parallels, right? There's a lot of shared DNA between um, between Overwatch and, and Team Fortress 2, even though there's some other uh, influences in the mix there that we'll talk about in a bit. Um, so I, I, I ended up being day one on this. Um, I think that decision was influenced by... I, it was either an alpha or a beta, I forget which one, um, that they ran uh, prior to its release. Um, and just really getting on with the way the game controlled. Specifically, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a PC gamer snob or anything, but any first-person shooter that controls particularly well with mouse and keyboard, I'm always going to be a big fan of. And um, uh, Overwatch controls particularly well with a mouse and keyboard. Um, and yeah, I, I played a lot of this at launch, a lot of this, like every spare hour. Um, and then slowly, slowly, it became one of those games like um, like uh, the, uh, the two of you mentioned previously, I kind of just dip into uh, every now and then. Um, like whenever they introduced a new character, I would play for a little bit and then drift away again. Um, I have to admit, before this recording, I hadn't played it for a long, long while. I certainly hadn't played any of it uh, during lockdown, um, uh, or just to date this issue. Um, but um, yeah, I, I still, I still have a good time with it. So that's me, Rich. What, what about your history? Yeah, so sort of mid twenty thirteen, mid twenty fourteen, my friends were were very heavily into MOBAs and, and in particular Dota two, and they kind of very quickly built up an aptitude for Dota two that meant that I I couldn't actually jump on board at the point that I was able to play, and I always kind of admired the the way that the game was put together, and I liked the idea of of like heroes and and kind of identifying with a particular character and specialising in that, but there was never really a good jumping on point to do that, and I want to say in around about February twenty sixteen. GameCM ran a, an article about Overwatch with some uh, interviews with Jeff Kaplan at the time and some really interesting artwork. And, and like in hindsight, I, I've went back and read that today and, and the article itself doesn't really say a great deal, but it certainly looks fantastic. And I remember that peaking my interest at the time. Um, I didn't commit to day one in this, but I picked it up on the week after day one. So essentially seven days later. And that was because a lot of the podcasts that I listened to at the time were really like effusively lavish in praise on, on this game. And I thought, yeah, this is a great opportunity to do that. Um, in much the same way as the, the other three of you guys, I don't think I've ever not played this game. The way that I tend to play it is I'll kind of use it as like a, a palette cleanser between open world games or some of the larger experiences that we've got. I picked it up on the PS4 and I think that's quite important to do with the like longevity of of the game for me. Uh the PC seems to have a different kind of community and and a different kind of vibe about it that doesn't necessarily agree with my sensibilities. Um and uh yeah, I've got about a, a modest 150 hours on the the clock at the moment, but you know, just to reciprocate what Brian says that probably doesn't mean much. <laughs> Cool. So um, let's let's dive into the the game's influences. I already mentioned um, Team Fortress Two as 
kind of a big anchor for this game. Uh, did does anyone? Because I mentioned it in my history, but does anyone here have any history with Team Fortress Two at all? I played the orange box version for console. Um, and, right. Okay. And honestly, that I could never really find. Um, that pl- players that often on there and also once i did like i it was so clear that i had no idea what i was doing that i didn't have a ton of fun with it, it i did feel like i missed out a little bit because I, I really love this the whole look of it but yeah other mm. than that no i mean i can only really echo what brian said there very similar issue I, I jumped on on the orange box and i think like the 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 like absence of players in that game almost made it very difficult to comprehend the the point of it you know the the need for cooperation and, and the way to play that game in a much more kind of strategic mm. way than like your generic first-person shooter at the time, which would have been like a heavily competitive Call of Duty or or Halo, something like that. It was barely recognizable. So uh, a lot of emphasis is put on the, the, the way the two games play similarly, but I think Overwatch has taken more than just the kind of... Uh, the broad strokes of play from Team Fortress 2, but it also took the way Valve marketed Team Fortress 2 to market Overwatch, the big big focus on characters um and using characters in these like short movies um so with team fortress 2 this was the meet the video so there was like a meet the medic meet the spy meet the scout that kind of thing and each one was essentially like a short movie with really high quality animation and it feels like blizzard really picked up where valve left off in that regard with these big expensive looking uh short films that they would line up with either uh, announcements associated with the game or uh, you know especially on the lead up to the game's release as well or in the early days of the game's release they would um release these these really expensive looking cgi trailers and i i do think that lesson of how important selling people on the characters comes from comes from team fortress 2 um the other thing I want to mention is just the way um um the game is animated and the way the game looks. Um I like Pixar is the reference point I've used, but honestly like in reality the majority of like CGI um animated fair intended for children have has this kind of similar aesthetic very big eyes um really stretchy bouncy movement um a lot of squash squash and stretch um you know used in in animation where horrible youtubers like uh stop at frames in the animation and go well look this is rubbish not understanding how animation works you idiots um (laughs) but um um yeah i i i think this is because even though like um we've certainly seen very very cartoony um like uh games that have definitely taken influence from pixar in the past like ratchet and clank and and stuff like that i can't think of many that it's felt like this direct um like because this looks like the incredibles at points in terms of the way it looks it I think it's also that the animated shorts, a lot of them try to compress an enormous amount of emotion uh, into a Mm. short period of time in ways that are uh, aspirational. I think one issue I have is that they do kind of all have uh, what is known as the DreamWorks smirk 
which is why I think the Bastion <laughs> animated short was the most affecting to me because he is the only character or a character who, who it is impossible to smirk. Uh, so I found him more relatable. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they aspire to having these, uh, yeah, like people really, I, I find the whole narrative aspect of this game absolutely fascinating. And I guess we'll talk about that with <laughs> the scenario of just like the weird meta. I mentioned this in the Mario Kart episode, but just like the relationship of this game to its narrative framing, we'll get to, but yes, uh, but so- it looks lovely. Yeah. Yeah, it does, and and those shorts that that you're mentioning, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot. Like, it just shows how much care went into the characters and their backstory, and it's really kind of difficult to convey that when you just release a game and it has this entire roster of characters, and it's like, you know, oh, this guy's the giant gorilla, and this, you know, this lady can do this thing and whatever. But like, when those videos and those little shorts start coming out, like you realize that there is there has been a lot a, a wealth of thinking and um creativity behind like these characters motivations and their origin stories and stuff it, it just like if once you start watching one of those you just kind of start buying in more and more the more of them you watch you know so so winston is no longer just you know the the monkey with the electric laser <laughs> you know he's he got this whole purpose and this is a, he's reassembling the team and and i think that that, that was kind of masterfully done in a way that and I don't mean to, to to throw this right under the bus to begin with, but like in the way that, say, a Battleborn, which came out almost at the exact same time, <laughs> did not do. So it didn't garner as much interest. And we can talk about the gameplay and all that stuff later on, but they did just such a good job of getting you invested in the characters before you even really knew who the characters were. And I thought that was that was pretty wisely done. Hmm. Because uh, we're also talking about the influences, right? And that and that part of this is that it was originally a more narrative game, sort of, that got scrapped in parts, kind of got reincarnated, right? It was originally, there was this MMO that they scrapped called Titan. And maybe that's part of it. But, like, that is all true. But then you go play the game and it's Mario Kart, right? Just the good guys and bad guys are just kind of shooting at each other for whatever. It's fun. Uh, like I was very confused because I was like, I guess half of these characters are goodies and half are baddies. Uh, and then you watch the shorts. It's like, no, like three of them are kind of bad, I guess. Uh, they're purple. That's how you know. Uh, and yeah, I just, it, it, it is this trying to explain, like we've just skipped having the original game, uh, to someone, uh, coming to video games would be an interesting exercise. Uh, of like, I could see someone who wasn't familiar with games playing Overwatch, instantly liking it. It's very accessible and friendly in a lot of ways. And then just being like, okay, so what's going on here? And just struggling to explain what they just did has to do with all of the sort of narrative background. That's the that's the one aspect where I think Team Fortress 2 has an edge because even though the lore of Team Fortress 2 is way simpler and way, you know, it's it's literally just two companies fighting each other in the Team Fortress 2 universe. Um, but the writing is a lot smarter. Like the 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 dialogue and all of that stuff in the the meet the videos was always really sharp and really funny. Um and the universe is slightly more cohesive, both in the game and in the shorts, because it, it they match, they mesh together, they they're they're one and the same. Whereas the shorts, while like well constructed and really like um, vibrant and colourful, 
you're right. They they don't really mesh with the the play experience at all because all the goodies are shooting each other and all the baddies <laughs> are shooting each other, and there's not that cohesion. No, that um, and I, this is yeah. not necessarily a critique. I like that fact about this game. I also yeah, just yeah. find it insane. I I, I like. Mm. It. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the so the observation that I had was like. All of these shorts are, are ostensibly extracurricular. They're, they're not within the actual package itself, and you have to go out and find it. And I was thinking, like, we've had examples of of purely multiplayer games that attempted to deliver a narrative to mix success or the likes of Brink and, and Titanfall. And even when there was quite clearly a kind of almost like a, a direction and a, a sort of point to point where you must go through certain gates, it never really kind of delivered a, a sort of wider sense of exactly what's going on there. So I, I admire that the shots are there, but I think you, you can kind of still play the game and get a kind of wider sense of like goodies versus baddies without ever having looked at them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I it's, it's, it's a, it's a petty criticism on my part, really. It's just, um, there's so much lore here and there's so much backstory like uh, and i do think like this is partly because another influence that we haven't mentioned is this is clearly inspired by a lot of the the popularity of superhero films especially around the time this game uh, came out i don't think the marvel fatigue had fully set in in 2016 the way it has now um but yeah like that that want to in to have this kind of universe where all these things have happened like like we're, we're kind of going into the scenario um here anyway so i might as well talk about it but like there's a whole like matrix style terminator style rise of the machines backstory <laughs> to this universe which like and whenever the like the shorts touch on it seems incredibly dark and incredibly scary mm, yeah. in a way that the game just never is it's just like to have all of that like you know all of that baggage for what is ostensibly like cops versus robbers at the end of the day i was upset to see the reinhardt's fighting the bastions cuz they're both nice yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't know who's you know, I'm I'm very confused by what's going on, but it's uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's there. So um, we've touched on this already, um, but I want to talk about the way the game looks um, and get your impressions on this. Um, speaking personally, I think the game looks amazing. Um, I think it's one of the things that differentiates it from other first-person shooters that are out there. Like I, I love Counter Strike. I love. Uh, Titanfall 2, I love Halo, but I have to tell you, back in 2016, it was so refreshing to have a multiplayer shooter come out that didn't look like a military space marine shooter. Yeah. Um, how about you guys? Yeah, I was just really impressed with the, I don't even say color palette, because it's just every color, um, and it, it just the way that the quote-unquote cartoony vibe allowed them to just kind of play with color patterns and animations for characters like I I came into this game not really knowing what it was kind of you know knowing what I had watched and like I think I started playing as like Reaper just because he was a guy I understood you know like shoot the guns do the thing and um but I remember the first time I hopped in as a support character and I played as Lucio and all those just green and yellow just waves coming off of everything you do and the way that the, the you know his his kind of sound cannon like rings fly off and you're seeing everybody just all of these 
particles and everything just flying together at once. And I just remember thinking, like, this is just, it just looks unlike anything else I've ever played. I just remember finding all the color and all just the the way that every every kind of color and weapon interaction interacts with the environment and and plays off of each other it just it's a really striking look to a game and and like when you have all 12 characters descending on either a payload or, or one of the objective points and everything's going on all at once and it doesn't doesn't seem to stutter at all it just kind of embraces all of that visual it's like al- almost an overwhelming amount of visual stimulus it's just kind of like it's just wow it, it does it, it it did kind of make my jaw drop the first few times I, I played it. I co-sign all of that. <laughs> how, how to say what well, hasn't been said? So I mean, I've got some some thoughts. Like there's a the thing that I like about um, the the stylings in Overwatch is like you can look at a character and you kind of already know like who they are, what type of character they are, and also like where they're from, and that's really kind of important because I remember looking at the um, promotional artwork and thinking like looking at Trace, I'm like, she's from England, I'm from England too, I'm gonna love this character, and it was just <laughs> one of those situations where it's like you can immediately look at somebody and go, okay, yeah, like I think I think I've got the gist of what this is, like I'm gonna really enjoy zeroing in on this character for the next like forty hours and and then going about um sort of blundering your way through and becoming mildly competent as is the case with myself so just the the artwork and the kind of silhouettes that they've created for each of the character making them instantly recognizable is a real strong point yeah the silhouettes i have a i have a slide in that intro to game design class where i have like a pictures uh the silhouettes of a bunch of famous cartoon characters mickey mouse and bart simpson such and such and then the overwatch characters next to it and it is, yeah, it's remarkable how many of the students who are only, who don't even really have played Overwatch can pick out, you know, a good half dozen, dozen uh, of the Overwatch characters just because they have such uh, distinct silhouettes, which is incredibly important when you let people pick their own skins uh, and you've got 12 people all fighting at once. Like, the the, clar- the the amount that this game manages to balance being, you know, a kaleidoscopic, uh, polychromatic fantasia with being clear and just being able to figure out what the hell mm. I'm shooting uh, and and running, yeah, pretty much like a dream, uh, at least until you go into custom browser mode. Well, I guess we'll get to talking about the variants. <laughs> uh, there's, uh, but yeah, it's, it's an incredibly impressive piece of work. So um, speaking of aesthetics, we, we need to talk about the music and the sound design as well, um, which I think is on equal footing with the visuals. Um, just talking about the music, like I feel um, the you know the play of the game uh, music that plays at the end of every match is is just iconic at this point, um, and it's just uh, it's designed uh, by scientists to create a euphoric kind of dopamine drenched response, especially if you are the person in the play of the game <laughs> uh, video feature. Uh, it's a great piece of music, but there's great music throughout this game. Uh, I think, yeah, th- there is great music throughout the game, and I think that it, it's so well married with the sound effects and the sound bites and everything kind of works together to create that whole environment. Um, it's amazing the amount of of sound in this game, and I don't mean that just like a like a, like not like the overwhelming sensory experience, but just like. Like how many different voice lines for each character, how many different interaction sounds, how many different um like just like unique weapon like like the way some of those weapons pop and like everyone seems to find like seems to be satisfying in its own way. It's just I don't know. It's um 
yeah, the the sound design in this game is, is is elite in my opinion. Just to touch on the music a bit, I think the the kind of palette of of instruments that they've gone for is is clearly just sort of lifted and shifted straight off the generic John Williams superhero to get <laughs> that brass in there as quickly as possible. And like Brian, this is kind of something that I'd more likely come to you with the you know, three hundred plus hours of game. Like I was listening to the soundtrack in preparation for the show, and I thought like I've definitely heard a lot of these songs before, but I I, I couldn't necessarily hum along to any of them, and that's probably because. The music isn't in the actual core game itself. It's just sort of ambient and around yeah. loading screens and such. Yeah, that's the only... Uh, in fact, because uh, I, I tend to listen to the soundtrack of the game that we're recording for as we're recording, just lightly in the background of my headphones, just as like we're talking about it. And I don't I, I don't necessarily... I completely agree with you. I don't necessarily... Um, remember them as like these these big you know memorable themes in game uh except for maybe you know the 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 loading screen music and like the the theme that's playing on the menu screen but as you're playing i don't really i, I feel the same way interestingly on the the voice actor sort of front like it's it's kind of surprising to me just how kind of like almost pseudo celebrity the likes of like matt mercer and such of, of became just because of their relationship with with overwatch and forgive me i can't remember any of the the names of the other actors but they're all kind of out there doing cameos and sort of appearing on podcasts and such just lending their voices and likenesses to it and i think it speaks to the sort of like affinity and affection people have developed for for the characters in overwatch and there's there's tons of great um little barks that all of these characters make that have become iconic like you know you guys were kind of joking about it at the beginning um uh i've seen like plenty of our free word reviews are just references to those audio barks that the characters make like uh and and just like simultaneously being characterful and you know iconic while also conveying really useful gameplay information when you hear you know um uh, Matt Mercer's character. I've forgotten the name of the character. McCree. Um, but I, uh, McCree, there we go. When McCree goes, it's high noon, <laughs> you know that you need to find... Yeah. You, you Get need to find out of cover. the way. <laughs> Get out of the way. Um, and I love that. I love that they... they And uh, this goes... You know, The visuals do this as well, but it's injected in every aspect of the game of being able to both express character and personality and server gameplay function at the same time and how it does such a good job at doing both simultaneously like it does a great job at doing mm-hmm. both simultaneously it's not compromising one or the other which is really impressive and and having that cognizance of like because this is a like a visual feast there's so much going on especially if you're all on a point or something like that and there's so much noise because you can tell which character you're up against based around the sound of a gun firing what like that cognizance that awareness what that allows you to do is actually focus on the meta which is the actual game just turn yourself off from the kind of here and now and just focus on kind of plays and, and working out where to be and how to maneuver around certain situations and and buddy up depending on what you've got and and like i, I completely agree that the, the like the way that they've managed to sort of mitigate dissonance in that particular uh hmm. like yeah. space is yeah. just really impressive another thing that i thought of is that every character has a unique uh, footstep sound effect as well so you know that a road hog is coming around the corner because of the heavy uh, heavy steps that Roadhog <laughs> yeah. uh, takes and again like 
giving you an early warning about who's coming around the corner. Like you conduct yourself uh, differently depending on which uh, character you're squaring off against. And having that audio information ahead of time lets you prepare and get ready for a certain kind of engagement. Um, so let's let's dive into the gameplay. So the the core controls um, for um, Overwatch are much the same as many other first person shooters. Um, there are a couple of like unique cases, um, Doomfist and um, some other characters that are maybe more melee focused, like Reinhardt, for example. Um, but largely speaking, even if they're not you know, using an actual gun. They're pretty much, you know, following the fundamentals of first-person shooter control setup. A couple of unique additions, though. So um, every character has cooldown abilities. Um, they're kind of... Uh, there are three kind of categories of abilities. So there are the normal cooldown abilities. Um, all heroes have at least two um and uh some will have you know some will have more than that but largely speaking each each hero has at least two um sometimes they're, they're usually assigned to the same buttons but sometimes there's a special ability assigned to the jump button or the secondary fire button etc etc every character has an ultimate ability these are like basically the equivalent of final smashes um that every character has they have to charge them up um they're extremely powerful um and they kind of lean into the strengths of that individual character so if you're a support character it's usually something that enhances and supports another character if you're a damage dealer then it enhances your capacity to to deal out death and destruction um and some characters have passive abilities that you don't really have control over um the example that i think of just because i use this character a lot is doomfist's uh, the best defense ability which charges his shields whenever he lands a blow uh, on an opponent um so yeah, like how do how do we feel about the way Overwatch controls? Like just the fundamental feel of play with Overwatch. There's a an I'm going to quote from an interview with with Jeff Kaplan here from from the Game CM article that we got here, and the the conversation was around um, the importance of bringing it onto consoles. And he mentions in there that they deliberately limited the amount of abilities that heroes had purely to try and accommodate the gamepad. And actually think that having fewer abilities is actually a strength and a benefit to the game. Um, just from like my personal perspective, it just kind of makes everything have a, a much stronger identity and perhaps forces them from like a use case just to try and really understand what it is that they want to do with the character and how to to sort of make the, I guess, like balancing and, and meta change because of that. Yeah, I, I don't feel a lack of, there's as many abilities as my brain can handle sometimes even more like and and the characters kind of all feel i mean they either feel great or i just like i would um, someday i will master uh the hamster ball uh but i i i am not uh anywhere near there but i i think it potentially feels great and i think it you know uh there's just some characters are way more uh high skill ceiling than others but but yeah i mean everyone just like it's that Pixar thing. Just everything does feel very finely tuned and very 
play tested and, and focus grouped in a positive way of that phrase, even though it's often used in a negative way. But, you know, real attention paid towards the user experience on every level. And I, I, it has that thing where within, let's say, like a minute or two of playing each character and has that wonderful waiting room section at the beginning of each level, which when you start playing hundreds of hours of the game, you probably feel like, oh, I just want to get to the action. But like it gives you a build uh, the 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 chance to hit all of those abilities and have their cooldowns reset. Like so when you when you start a game and you're in that waiting room, like you it doesn't take that long before you realize, oh, this is what this character does. Now, it takes a long yeah. time to get good at it. But like, you know, it, like I've, I think I, I remember coming in with um. Oh, uh, might have been Diva, and just right away, you know, it's like just running around and hitting my weapons and kind of seeing these, like, oh, okay, I kind of, I kind of see what this this character is about, and I can dash and do these other things, and um, it it doesn't take long to feel comfortable moving around with that character, and it also has that great thing. I know this kind of goes past controls, where if you land just one shred of damage on an enemy, it gives you credit for the elimination, so huh. you're instantly feeling like you're contributing too. So like. It builds confidence and builds ability in a way. I think a lot of uh, and a lot of um, a lot of uh, uh, multiplayer shooters have taken that from this game and use it now too. To do, it always makes you feel like you're contributing and and yeah. So I, you really feel like you could drop in as any character and you might not be the best, but it doesn't take you long to kind of figure out. Okay, I'm playing as May. She's got the the ice dart. She's got the frost beam. And okay, I feel like I know what I'm doing here. And um, and I really do like that about that. One thing that I think that does that mitigates a lot of the the toxicity problem with MOBAs uh, is that, right, what I was saying before about uh, you're worse than the team not having you at all. If you pick the right characters, you can basically mitigate that, even if you're terrible. If you're Lucio and you just kind of stay around other people, you know, you're helping. Uh, that's and, why uh, that's why he's my favorite character and my most played. <laughs> <laughs> The, the, when you when you land a special in this game or you land an ultimate ability and you do it well, it feels so good <laughs> and like it's yeah. so satisfying in a way. Like if you send that diva bomb in the at the right time into the right area and all of a sudden the eliminations just pile up, it makes you feel like you have mastered video games. <laughs> like you have you have solved the problem. And then on on the other hand. When you when you pull your cord on your junk rat tire bomb and you drive it right into a wall or right off a cliff and all that progress goes to nothing, you feel just useless. And I think the game does a really good job of balancing those two things to make when you hit your ultimate and you nail it, you feel unbelievable. But when you waste it, you really feel like you wasted something because it's going to take so long. It might not even get another one this round. You know, like it. I feel like the the way that it, it builds those up and and the. The ultimates that might not have like these big dramatic impacts seem to recharge a little bit faster. It's just so, and I think Jesse and you and uh, Josh and uh, and Rich have said it all. Like it just is balanced in such a nice way. It's so clear they spent hundreds of hours, thousands of hours tinkering with all these things to make them feel right. Yeah, I, I don't feel like it would be responsible for us to move on without also saying the greatest feeling in Overwatch is causing someone else to mess up their own ultimate, <laughs> <laughs> like really screwing with them and, yeah. and just like yeah, it's just an empowering feeling. The the <laughs> ultimate also creates an interesting rhythm because if you do change characters, it gets reset to zero. So often mm -hmm. yeah. it's it's a you know that that prevents people from being sort of too flighty and and you're like okay I'm at eighty percent I maybe I'm not great with this character but you know I'm gonna get the ultimate I'm gonna try it and then I'll go to someone I'm more comfortable with or whatever. So yeah, I think it's a, a very well balanced 
Uh, it, I, you know, it is a little like uh, in a night of poker, you might you might lose ultimately. But if you had one or two really good hands, maybe that's that makes it worth it. That's what you come away with and remember. Hmm, yeah. Uh, and and yeah, it's very good at creating those moments, even if you're ultimately on the losing side. We, I feel, I sense that we're all desperate to to start talking about the next <laughs> um, the next topic. So let's let's move on. Um, so the characters, um, the characters themselves. So Brian, I'm going to mm. put you on the spot. Okay. Um, what are what are what are some particular favorites of yours in terms of the character roster? So I, I didn't think going into this game when I first started, I thought I was easily going to be a tank or damage guy. Um, I played a lot of Diva. Played a lot of Roadhog. I've played a lot of um, uh, Reaper, which I already mentioned, and a, a significant amount of Soldier seventy six. But that's mostly because he's was the tutorial character, so I felt familiar with him right off the bat. Um, but I really, as I got more into the game, I leaned into support very, very heavy. And um, I think my my two favorite characters in the game are support characters. They're Lucio and Zenyatta. Um, I don't know what it is. Uh, I feel, well, no, I do know what it is. It's I like helping the team. I really like helping the team. <laughs> I like winning, and not not in like a huge hyper competitive way to where if we lose I get mad, but like I like feeling that I could do everything I could to help the team win, and I'm just better in a support role because I tell you I've tried to play as a precise twitchy snipe. It, it's just not me. I'm not accurate. <laughs> that's why that's why Reaper was my favorite damage character and Diva as my tank because. They have widespread weapons, so I can just kind of fire, and I'll probably hit something. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I I play a lot better as a support carrier. I, I found out, and I and I just love the way Lucio moves so much that I I looked yesterday, and out of the you know three four hundred hours was I I've got over one hundred twenty five hours just playing as Lucio, and I man I, I love everything about the way he moves. I love. His ability to switch between speed and health uh, regen is so it's so f- functionally important to aiding your team like it like if you know that you know being able to switch from you know health regen to speed if you know that you're losing the B objective and you need to get there quickly and then you can switch to health regen hit your ultimate which boosts everybody's health like you can you can change the course of a game and you could probably do that with every character but for me I feel like I have the ability to change the course of the game when I'm playing as Lucio, and and he just he represents to me so much of what I love about this game: the movement, the music, the 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 ability to and, and like and he's just so mobile and he can skate on the walls, and I feel like I can get in and out of danger really quickly. I don't know. I I could I could talk for the next half an hour on Lucio. I I, just, I really um and Zenyatta. I mean, what's not to like? I mean. I'm, Throwing, I'm zipping golden health, you know, balls across the level and floating around, and um, and I and that's one of the things. Not to keep taking up too much time talking about it, I think I like about those two characters is that they have, by their nature, Lucio on roller skates and Zenyatta literally floating. They have very smooth movement styles, uh, which is something I find that I that I really do like in this game. I like I like the I like the characters that seem to kind of slide more than anything else. Jesse. What are, who who are some of your favorites? Well, as I said, I started with Zenyatta and looking at it that yeah, Zenyatta, Lucio, 
God, I forget who is third of the, uh, you know, in my hours. Oh, Symmetra. Uh, although I've gotten kind of confused by how our abilities have changed. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of tend towards support myself, again, better at spacing than than shooting accurately and setting, like, I very much like setting up Symmetra's little turrets uh, and kind of, uh, you know, guarding them and, and sort of you know, uh, figuring out how to how to keep the teleporter alive and stuff like that. That that for whatever reason um, was kind of my default if I wasn't sure what role to play. I think the thing is, is in theory, one of my favorite things about this game is the idea that you could be very good at this game not so much by being particularly good at any character, but just being a little a good enough at every character or so many of them that you can you can pick the right character for the moment since you can change in the middle of a match. Uh, so I've always kind of looked at that as an aspiration, but uh, and then I just kind of tend to play the same people over and over. Uh, but I think on the other ones, um, Reinhardt for similar reasons, uh, Roadhog I enjoy because he's simple uh, and I, I get him. Although I just die constantly and end up feeding the other team, um, <laughs> Bastion shoots good uh reaper i actually really like because of the spacing i like the there's certain maps yeah. where i kind of know where to teleport to how to sneak up in back of the other team uh and that's something i yeah i enjoy the 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 faster like genji and hanzo i don't understand they're either too fast or too accurate <laughs> um uh i like may a lot you know a good i it's an interesting question i had how many characters do you all think a person should be comfortable with to kind of be able to hmm. enjoy this game on a reasonable, like maybe three per class or, you know, I, I was just, yeah, that, that's a good question. I, I, I made it, I made it my priority to at least get somewhat good with a character in each position, uh, just in case that role needed filling. I certainly have favorite positions, right. Um, but I, which I will get into, um, like I do have a favorite within each character class, but I, m I made an effort to do that because it felt like, especially in the early days when they didn't force it right nowadays that they actually kind of, um, force people to play certain positions, but in the early days where they didn't have that kind of control in place, seeing that nobody was going to be a healer or nobody was going to be a tank. I put that, that duty on my, my own shoulders. Yeah, I I was already kind of um, regretting not talking about a few characters, but that just shows you how many how many characters that you you end up playing just based on necessity throughout this game. Um, and like you yeah. said about uh, about Genji, uh, Jesse, like that's the way I feel about Zarya. Like I mean, like I yeah. like Zarya. When you have a good Zarya on your team, she makes all the difference in the world. It's incredible play. But I have I am a bad Zarya. <laughs> I can't figure her yeah, out to when, save my life. And, when you've got and, one on the opposing team, it, it will just shut you down. It'll yeah, not just shut absolutely. you down. It'll shut everyone down. Yeah, it's it's really incredible how how it leans to that. And yeah, I I think that I think that to, to answer your question, Jesse, I think that it is important that you have at least one character you're familiar with in each class, just just so you can, like Josh said, uh, contribute to the team. Um, because uh, yeah, cause I, I played I played a ton of Bastion and Junkrat and and May, um, just Reaper who happened to be the one I when I uh, when I stuck with. But yeah, Rich, who are some of your favorites? Here we go. I mentioned this in the Monster Hunter show because I feel like this is an uncomfortable profiling exercise in the way that you can tell a lot about a, a person's personality based around who they choose. So yeah, I'm going to go into it. I enjoy playing characters that frustrate and irritate. So I've, <laughs> my, my most played character is Junkrat, who's a character I don't tend to use a great deal anymore. 
the the principle behind Junkrat is you get up high and you just rain down area of effect um, to try and almost sort of disrupt uh, what's going on. The two characters that I'll elect to play for at this particular moment in my Overwatch career is is uh, Sombra. Sombra is a character that is just there to try and disrupt and displace people. And there is nothing quite as satisfying as going behind a Reinhardt and hacking them so it can't use any of its abilities and just watching it panic because it's got no mobility, no shields. It's just standing there waiting to feed the, the team. Similarly, the idea that you get in there and you pull somebody out of formation and then run away and then use your um, teleportation grenade thing. I can't remember what it's quite called. Just to kind of like immediately is about the way. It's just an incredibly satisfying feeling knowing that you've kind of done that. However, uh, the character that I'm most fond of at the moment is Brigitte, who's a, a support character. And I think Brigitte is incredible. It's like a, a support tank almost, like a very weak healer. But the principle behind Brigitte is the more damage you deal the more healing you do. So you want to get in there and melee range and just hit everything as as often and as hard as possible and then raise your shield just to kind of deal the damage. She's also got a, a special called Rally. So her ultimate kind of, in the same way Lucio does, boosts people's speed. It gives a, like an incredible shield buff and, and basically what it's there to do is just um, encourage people to be aggressive. So if you trigger your rally and your team's prepared for it, everybody gets a damage buff, a healing buff and a shield buff and it's usually enough to kind of like turn the tide on, on the game. Brigida is a, a post-release character that kind of felt sorely needed because at the point that she was in there, we didn't have any kind of really innovative healers. You had Anna who is like a really interesting character, but on on the console it is very difficult to, to become good at because it requires you to be like exceptionally accurate because she's a um a, a sniper healer, which is a strange combination. So yeah. Yeah. Anybody who's just gonna wind the other team up, you know, I'm not too fussed about kill death ratios. All I wanna do is is go in there and make people upset, which speaks a lot about the way <laughs> that I feel about the world. Uh, anyway. Right. So I I I kind of so the characters I played as kind of changed um as time went on and this is where I have to confess to you all a really dark secret um at launch I was one of the Hanzo main crew um <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I was the selfish the selfish player who only cared about getting their death rate up uh, <laughs> playing as Hanzo. Um, but, like, I just... Even now that I've, I kind of stopped playing as Hanzo because I got shamed out of it, um, I <laughs> I still really like Hanzo um, because it's, like... It's really, really high damage, but a really high skill requirement to do that damage. And there's something really satisfying about landing a headshot with Hanzo um, just because you know how much accuracy and effort it took to pull that off um, and uh, like what the ability one of the abilities he had at launch that unfortunately they, they got rid of was the scattershot ability yeah where I loved it because you're firing um, from a distance trying to snipe people and People naturally go, oh no, there's a Hanzo. Let's let's go into cover. But the scatter shot ability is at its most lethal when somebody's in a closed room or a closed environment. So you just fire one of those in there and kill them in there instead. Um, 
are just absolutely lethal and and in the hands of the right player um hanzo even now is incredibly deadly uh, and his ultimate is one of the most iconic ultimates in the game yeah um sure. uh, yeah just like when he, when one is pulled off successfully and it just rips through an entire party <laughs> it is just something to behold I started playing as um, Zarya, which um, you guys were all talking about um, uh, earlier. Um, and I had a really difficult time with Zarya to begin with. And then I just, something unlocked in my brain. Um, and it, I, it just all came together. And Zarya is probably like the character if where if you looked at like my kill-death ratio, uh, it, it's probably the most successful. Like, uh, I absolutely slaughtered with Zarya. Um she she is definitely one of those like hard to master but once you do absolutely deadly like you guys were discussing. Um just being able to charge up that beam completely and then just going straight into the enemy with that beam and killing people pretty much like within two seconds of contacting them. It's absolutely brutal. Um but um the thing about Zarya is once you get into that rhythm, there's not much variety in the way that she plays. So mm. even though I got really good at her, I was kind of getting bored of playing as Zarya. Um, I started playing as Soldier 76, which, you know, I just said getting bored of playing as a character. And the first character you think of in terms of boring characters to <laughs> play design, as is Soldier 76. <laughs> um but I actually find um, Soldier 76 um, to be a really like compelling addition. I like that he has a healing ability. Um, I, I, he's not just all offense. He can actually provide his team teammates support. Um, and just the, the mobility, the ability to run um, to different parts of the map, I found really, really effective. And then the shooting with 70, uh, Soldier 76 is just really, really effective. Mm -hmm. Um, Anna, I really like playing as Anna, and I think this is a product of me playing on PC um, because the whole healer sniper thing worked um, on PC for me. Uh, and also, I love just is the ultimate troll. I, I mentioned this earlier. The ultimate troll is to put someone to sleep before they're about to pull off an <laughs> ultimate, or put someone to sleep just before they they you know try to pull off a killing a, a killing blow on you. Just like and not even finishing them off, just walking off like like the <laughs> ultimate insult is you don't even kill them. You just put them to sleep and walk away. Um, and yeah, and um, in terms of because. Um, I never really got on with most of the support characters, apart from Moira, who I've, I've, I've toyed with. Um, but for whatever reason, Anna's kind of distanced healing uh, worked for me because I wasn't in the thick of it and having to worry too much um, about my own well-being. Um, but the character that I love the most um, and I would describe as my main now is Doomfist. I love doomfist so much because doomfist is chaos incarnate now my kill death ratio with doomfist probably will never reach what it was with zarya but my fun ratio <laughs> was off the charts of doomfist um there's so many like there was like a moment where 
it we were really close to to losing like really close to um uh, i think it was a um an escort um yeah an escort mission where the the opposing team had gotten the the cart pretty much all the way towards the end um and i we were all like we're we're doomed we're doomed i picked i changed from soldier 76 to doomfist and i started wiping the floor with all of them because my respawn the, the place where i was spawning was so close to where all the action was um and like all the action was concentrated in such a small space um his passive ability of building shield um uh, when on offense became so deadly because I, as long as i kept smacking people as long as i kept hit, hitting hitting them in the air i had some buffer for any damage they dealt to me and just like launching people into the air like dragon ball z style <laughs> punching them into a wall and then um and just like having that feeling like that feeling that you rarely you know rarely get in these games but when it does happen it feels amazing of that feeling of absolutely wiping a team single-handedly just incredible and then he's uh, he's also like a great uh, comedy generator. The amount of people I've just smacked off of the face of a cliff um, <laughs> who were like, uh, you know, like, um, I think there was, a, I, I, I am the bane of McCree's apparently, uh, but there was another McCree who was trying to pull off a, another high noon ability and just smacked him off the side of a building. Um, <laughs> I just, yeah, Doomfist, I know Doomfist is a bit of a controversial character um, in the community. I think people don't like it when people pick Doomfist, um, but I just have so much fun with that character. I think finding the fun with every character is, is possible and that's the, the neat thing about overwatch is that um i have a friend a friend who i played with on playstation for for hundreds of hours or, or however many hours we played together who was who played reinhardt all the time loved reinhardt and i i tried dipping into reinhardt from time to time and it just never i didn't like the way he didn't like his movement the trudging the shield i i felt like even when I was doing it well, I still wasn't doing it well enough. I never really liked it. And he said, no, no, you got to try him, got to try him. So I ended up playing as Reinhardt one match, and I'm just like, I, you know, not having much fun, not having much fun. And then all of a sudden, I charge somebody into a wall and splat them and get that <laughs> kill. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I could get used to this. Yep, you know what I mean? Like, every character's got that moment of just like, oh, I get why somebody likes this. I get why you'd want to do this. When you roadhog and hook somebody down and then blast them as soon as they get their point blank and knock them out, like, you can just have that moment of like, yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to play Roadhog effectively, but that felt awesome. And every character's got something like that. Um, and yeah. and yeah. and the more you play and the more you experience, like, I mean, I've never had a round successful playing as Genji. I can't do it. I'm just, it's not for me. It's not. He's not the character that that I do well with. But even just running around the environments as him, the mobility, the, the you know, just kind of like when you're using the blade effectively to, def to deflect bullets, like it just you can see aspects of every character that, that you can feel yourself being like, oh, if I really put time into this, I could probably get good at it. That that element of like, you know, fun is really like important for me. And it, it speaks to kind of why I play Overwatch. Like if, if you can divorce yourself from the kind of success criteria of winning and instead get, like play it to have fun, it really kind of helps you like let go of the 
the stress and, and Overwatch becomes this really kind of cathartic experience. Like, you know, Brian, you're talking about um like an instance with like Lucio booping people off the side of a cliff like effortlessly because it's just fun. Like with Brigida, who I play as like it's that moment of being in the melee and because you're doing damage you're healing yourself in much the same way as um as uh, doomfist is building shields and it's that moment of terror as the other team realize that you're not going to die because you're healing faster <laughs> than they can damage you um yeah and it, it's just that incredibly satisfying feeling of like look I, I i i'm reading this game i'm owning what's going on here and i'm i'm looking at the matrix and understanding exactly what's happening at any, at any one moment in time there was in that developer interview I was reading. There's an interesting bit where they were talking about uh, creating Lucio's ultimate, and that his first ultimate was actually charging up other people's ultimates uh, very quickly. And uh, they they quickly realized this was the b- worst of both worlds, and that it was both overpowered, but no one really noticed or understood the causality of it. And so um it made him the most powerful character without being able to actually enjoy the fact that he was uh, the most powerful character and, and what's the point right yeah the point is uh feeling like uh you're making a big difference and having that visualized on screen by now everything turns green and everyone has a big health bar and and that is very satisfying yeah right um so i want to read out this um post from the forum from eterno as an rpg player I greatly enjoy the hero class and skills aspect of the game. Each hero, personality, and backstory is well-crafted and plays differently, not only from one another, but also within the team. While team composition can be chaotic, adapting to your fellow players and the opposite team is fully part of the game and is one of the most enjoyable aspects to me. Each new hero is a great reason to go back to the game, and while I would have liked to see more of them, the quality of each one has been worth the wait. Unfortunately, Blizzard seems absolutely unable to balance these heroes, and the buff nerf cycle can be truly upsetting when your your main is a specific hero. I've spent hundreds of hours on this game, and I know I will still get back to it in the coming years. There's simply nothing truly like it right now. So we've talked a lot about the characters, um, but let's talk about the game modes that um, these characters will take part in. Um, So the game is broken down into a couple of categories. Um, There's the quick play and then the competitive play uh, modes that have four distinct flavors of mission. Um, So there's assault, um, where you assault a point, one team is defending, one team is assaulting, and, and you're capturing certain positions. There's escort, um, where you're escorting a cart uh, down a track to a specific point. Hybrid, where you're um, both escort, ex- <laughs> escorting a cart and also assaulting certain points. And then there's control, where you have to uh, wrestle for control over uh, a certain point in order to uh, gradually tick points that get you to a certain total that wins you um, the game. I think this these modes are the, the meat and potatoes of Overwatch, so it's worth camping out on um, these uh, specific scenarios for a bit. Does anyone have any like particular favorites or flavor of um, these maps that uh, that uh, that's that strikes you? 
I would say the the escort mode is is kind of the the flagship for, for Overwatch. Yeah. At least certainly in my opinion, you know, it's got some interesting things going on. Being closer to the payload uh, bestows you with a healing buff, and it usually kind of focuses points of conflict around the map around the payload that's moved as opposed to just a single point so it's a much more dynamic game mode than um the assault um and then the control as well yeah i tend to agree with that um i i do like uh the control points because i just like dominate like if i if i am going to play call of duty i almost always play domination i like um i like that aspect of um uh, of play just controlling the three points you know it it makes for just you know point b is always just a you know an absolute disaster and i I like that chaos of it but the the the, the escort missions really do um let you see more of a map and it does like you said create conflict points all over the place so i think those are good i think some of the maps um like the escort maps can get a little long um like or i mean making the the match a little bit longer like like a like a Route 66, for example, is a is a map where it seems to take just a long time to get the payload, even if you're doing well um, from spot to spot. But uh, but in general, I I do think that does make it the kind of the flagship mode because um because of everything you said, Rich. Yeah, I think escort kind of has the best dramatic arc, especially because there's just kind of that natural rubber banding of the closer it gets to the goal, the uh, quicker the defensing defensive team can you know get respawn and get back to uh fighting you uh so you know it just naturally creates this kind of like mounting tension as you're as you're getting it to move along and yeah um i like the control ones a lot as well those are those are just uh, especially uh ilios i think is a particular favorite of just um it's a fun map to just absolutely bash each other around on there's that well in the middle um, I guess we'll get to the, the the custom games, but one of my all time favorites is all Roadhogs in the Ilios well, uh, and and all <laughs> yep. you can do is hook the other people into the well. Um, but but yeah, in general, that I think that's probably a, a map I'm always happy to see come up in particular. The the disadvantage of control, I find it, and Jesse and I were playing on on Friday night and had this exact same experience. Is that like momentum is a big thing in control. Like the the escort mission has the effect of slowing down the game because you're beholden to the the pace of the actual payload that you're escorting. Whereas mm-hmm. in control, you can lose that match in under a minute, really, if you just don't sort of get your yourself together and and find a rhythm and especially if you know you have players that are displaced or you've got that constant like orderly queue of of players that are just getting <laughs> mowed down feeding ultimates and such so there's nothing quite as humbling as uh starting a game and then within 60 seconds realize you're looking at someone else's play of the game so i i tend to i tend to prefer assault and escort as well um just because with control um, as much as I have fun with control, I feel like it control kind of forces you to play as a much more limited pool of characters than the other two um um the other two do. Like because control is almost all about offense and then holding the position. And there's there's a limited pool of characters that are pretty good at both. Um, whereas, uh, depending on whether you're defending or assaulting, that will influence your decision of characters in the, the other two, hmm. uh, two modes. Like if I'm, I'm on the attacking team, I'm going to be picking 
characters who are good at that particular role. Um, if I'm on the defending team, I'm going to pick, you know, like a Zari or or, or an Anna uh, in terms of like support and defense. Um, so uh, I like that those two modes kind of shake up, like depending on what position you're playing, shake up the team composition and force you to pick characters that maybe you wouldn't pick normally. Um, yeah. Um, and I tend to agree that escort is the story generator, right? Yeah. It's the it's the the mode that creates narrative. Um, there's nothing more. Uh, uh, there's nothing more. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I'll just say a generic word. There's nothing more brilliant than uh, being the defending team, and the car is inches away <laughs> from yeah. being at the last point, and you manage to hold it there until the time runs yeah. out. It's just yeah. so satisfying. Or, or the offensive team and just pushing that overtime on for two or three minutes, just really <laughs> squeezing every moment of, of that yeah. game. Yeah. I just, like, I, I'm thinking about the different maps, and a lot of time the map will influence, like, how, how good of the round it is. But not, I don't really think there's too many weak points in there, but I, I just think, like, that Watchpoint Gibraltar, that escort map, is just has just so many bottleneck moments where it feels mm-hmm. like there's so much at stake all the time, I just like ah, that. It just is a high point, you know, for, for for me for for the game as a whole. Like that, when that map comes up in rotate rotation, I I get I get very excited, you know, and and um, and yeah, it really does offer. Like Josh said, to you know, whether you're attacking, you're defending, whether you're the team escorting the payload or the opposite way around, it it'll influence your character choice, and it just it the game style does kind of influence what character you want to play at what time. If if we're talking about maps, I think like you know it'd be remiss of me not to say there is like almost a disgusting serendipity about the amount of times I'm in Li Jiang Tower and have just never managed to to win that game. I don't know how or or what the relationship is between me and and those maps, but I just never seem to be able to do it. Um, I think Blizzard World is not a great map either. It's like exceptionally busy. And, and narrow especially mm. for a, a a game that pushes the payload usually you've maybe got like two or three different directions that you can you can go through but if you're on the offensive team there's really not least of which because you have to stick on the payload but those meandering corridors on the the right of that central part don't seem to have a great deal of function and it's evidenced by the fact that it's very seldom that you spend any length of time in there or lose or win a game at that particular point and and that's also true of um, King's Row. That central push after you've got the payload seems to go over rather quickly. So um, there's another suite of game modes that fall under the arcade bracket. Um, so just to quickly list them before we, we talk about them. Um, so under here we've got Deathmatch, um, which is your standard first-person shooter deathmatch, basically scoring points by killing people from the opposite team. Elimination, where you knock people out, and whoever has whoever has players left by the end of it is the winner. Capture the flag, uh, you capture the flag. Um, quick play classic, um, which is a version of Overwatch that kind of reverts. Um, things to the the uh, the rule set of the original release. Um, no limits, um, which is a game mode that lets you pick whoever you want. There's no limitations on how many um, how many soldier seventy sixes you can have in a party, um, which is just horrendous. Um, Hero Gauntlet, 
I'm, I'm actually not familiar with Hero so, Combat. So I what played is... this today and it is a real exercise yeah. in frustration. One kill advances you along a set list of, of characters. So I started the game as Anna and it was 10 minutes mm. of me attempting to kill anybody with Anna because I just couldn't do it. Yeah, and I think <laughs> once you get past there, it just pumps you through the the 25 or so characters that it, it delegates there and then the first to go through them all wins. It, it's interesting. Um, Probably not the main reason you kind of want to go and play Overwatch. I know the only reason I played it today is because there was a free loot box attached to <laughs> a participation. Yeah. Um, anyone play Mystery Heroes as well? Yeah, I've done a little of that with my nephew. Uh, it's fun. You, you, yeah, you basically get given a random hero. You go, you die, you get another random hero. Okay, cool. And then there are the browsable custom uh, game uh, se- uh, sessions, which I believe Jesse, you have some opinions yeah, on. Yeah, they're wonderful. You can, they're... you can dive in. You can dive into that now if you want. Yeah, actually. I mean, go for it. Technically, they're listed separate. Like it's it's quick, you know, quick play, competitive arcade, browsable games, um, but they feel like they're kind of part of arcade. And just people come up with just the most bizarre. Oh my god! Um, there's a lot of RPG type stuff. Like there's clearly affordances that Overwatch has put in there to let you do like statty stuff. So there's a lot of almost cookie clicker like rooms or or levels where i guess you can go around shoot each other but it's all about like leveling up and gaining gold and uh there was one that was uh emote to grow and you start very 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 tiny and everyone else around you is gigantic and it flashes on the screen murdering babies under level 40 is forbidden uh because you're you know you're a little baby (laughs) And one odd thing is that the I didn't realize until I played that is that the voice uh, the voice lines actually go up and down in an octave depending on whether your character is very big or small, um, and so you're just wandering around in some giant zenyatas yelling experience tranquility in like a very white voice, uh, and then you start emoting and you start growing bigger and bigger, uh, and I'm not sure what the point of any of this was, but it was it is it very like an fascinating. Acid trip. Yeah, no, it's it's like I've been following uh, Terry Cavanaugh, the game designer on Twitter, has been delving into Roblox, and this this has it has a Roblox vibe. It has a very just like I'm not even sure if these are games or just or just sort of toys and playthings, and but some of them like there was uh, Watch Out for Uncle Roadhog, which is eleven tiny people against one giant Roadhog who's chasing you all down. Um, you know, a lot of just really wacky and interesting ideas. Um, and yeah, like, uh, uh, yeah, a lot of individual character ones, like the Roadhog. Everyone's a Roadhog hooking each other into the well. Everyone's a Hanzo. And your shots don't do damage, but push the other person really far. So it's almost a Final <laughs> Destination Smash Brothers kind of scenario. Um, and, you know, if I could guarantee all my students already at Overwatch, like as a game design exercise, make a custom mode around one, everyone is character X is a very interesting exercise because all of the characters, you know, if you did kind of put them in the right context, that they, they can be their own little game. Um, and yeah, I highly recommend just dipping in and just, uh, unlike actually getting a real match, you, you can dip into any custom game in about 10 seconds, just kind of get an idea what's going on uh, and get out. But yeah, it's, and the fact that it's all on console, I was, because, you know, usually all the wacky mod stuff uh, is restricted to being on PC. And I'm not sure if you can create them on console, but you can definitely play them on PS4. And they're, yeah, they're ludicrous. It's great. 
it's tough though because that UI, that kind of interface to to interact with those, is is not the most sort of you know like friendly. Uh, I find it incredibly difficult to understand what it is that I'm I'm logging into, not least of which what I'm supposed to be doing when I'm there. So that perhaps could be um, just a little bit more like you know get some user researchers go away and work out how to kind of impress the information upon that. But I think it it's it's like very brave of, of Blizzard just to kind of go look here's the tool set, go away and, and mess with it and, and take this like exceptional brand that we've built and and find something to do with it. The idea that you don't need to comprehend what's going on. You just need to experience what's what's there is quite an interesting sort of parallel with some of the things that's going on with Twitch at the moment. So yeah, I, I dig it and I'll certainly go away from this recording and and, and sort of try and pass out some some new experiences from this five-year-old game 150 hours in it is very much a junk store like i couldn't imagine trying to go in and find a specific it it, is very much just like i was just clicking on things like what the hell is this and then i would play it i'd still be like what the hell is this this is but yeah it's 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 uh yeah it's remarkable uh how how flexible it is and again i think a lot of that has to do with the the you know the fact there's so many different heroes uh with different powers you can play off of it's it's like the the timing of it as well releasing that at a point when you're pushing for the next game which i have to believe is going to come without that capability built in as a way to try and encourage the player base to sort of transition over and and to to make the next purchase and and do that like a more limited game it seems like a bit of a, a risk from like a commercial perspective but um like a fascinating thing nonetheless I do want to touch on the other arcade modes and and simply say I just don't think that this is the way that Overwatch was intended to be played. Um, specifically, I'm talking about deathmatch and elimination here. Um, you can tell that the characters were designed with an objective-based play in mind rather than just racking up body counts. Um and I just don't think, yeah, I don't think deathmatch and elimination work for this game. Capture the flag, I think, works, but again, that's because it's an objective-based mode rather than a, uh, a kill-death ratio mode. Um, and yeah, some of the other modes are just not my cup of tea. Um, like no limits is just frustrating as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. But yeah, did anyone have any? Um, highlights with these arcade modes. Yeah, I was going to say that I haven't really touched any of them. I mean, I touched them all once um, and never really felt a, a, a need to go back. I, I just enjoyed the quick play, um, the mode so much more. Um, and I, anytime I play with friends, all they wanted to do was play the, the quick play mode. So. I played a fair amount of elimination with my nephew. That's pretty much the only one. And that one's pretty fun. I mean, it, what's nice about it is it's three on three. So we're always matched up with one random person, but we're, we're kind of a team uh, that can influence things. And once you win a match with a character, you have to you can't use that character again. Um, so, it, it, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's more of a change of pace. We'll, we'll generally do the, the quick play, uh, you know, do an elimination, go back to quick play. And and I don't yearn to play any of these game modes. Elimination's interesting in and of itself because of, of the limitations that it puts on you when you're successful or unsuccessful, as the case may be. But yeah, you're kind of forced into playing um, a deathmatch or a skirmish because at the moment, the quick play is not as immediate as it once was because it mandates that you occupy a certain role, which often means that if you want to be uh, like an assault class, you're going to end up waiting for like seven to ten minutes for a game probably because the player base is less kind of concentrated or, or 
or what the situation may be but um it, it just it's not a game that's built for that and it's uh, incredibly unbalanced when you're trying to play a 1v1 they also have seasonal events which come along with certain game modes so they uh did some um activities for chinese new year with capture the rooster and bounty hunter brawl um they did an overwatch archive event which was like a story driven on law focused event where they had some co-op missions um summer games which introduced lucio ball which is essentially a game of football but everyone controls lucio um halloween terror which in- included a kind of like horde mode ish co-op mode um, called uh, Junkenstein's Revenge, uh, and then the Winter Wonderland um, seasonal event, which uh, included May's Snowball Offensive, which is a bunch of May's pla- having a snowball fight, essentially, um, and then Yeti Hunter. Um, did anyone have any experience with any of these modes? I played a lot of the Junkenstein's Revenge one um, uh, with some friends. That was I, I had a good time with that. Um, I mostly played them all to get the loot boxes. I'm not, because <laughs> um, I think the first or second, like however many times you play it, or, or maybe it was during the event, if you played it once a day, you got like an extra credit towards your next loot box, because I was really interested in getting the skins associated with either, each event. So, um, but yeah, nah, the one I played the most of was Junk Insider Event. It was fun. It was almost like a um, kind of a horde mode with a couple bosses, um, it, and it would rotate. There was a... Whatever Roadhog's name was, um, and 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 there was uh, Junkrat as Doctor Junkenstein, and you could fight one of them at the end. It was it was a good time. I've played uh, the Overwatch Archive, the co-op missions where you're basically fighting a load of uh, bastions. Yeah, but it, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it, it just sort of proves as a proof of concept shows that there is a, like a potential for a PVE component, and you see that's reflected in some of the dev work and some of the promotional stuff that they got for Overwatch Two. Um, the other thing I've played is a lot of Lucio Ball, which is just legally distinct enough from Rocket League to not get <laughs> Blizzard in trouble. Um, but it's nothing to to write home about. It it's fairly perfunctory and it it's not particularly very endearing. Yeah, I I've I've bopped around a little on Lucio Ball with my nephew and definitely played a good amount of Junkenstein's Revenge and uh, somehow missed the Overwatch Archive things. I think, but we we did we did play a fair amount of Yeti Hunter which I did enjoy a lot, which is a bit in that uh, Uncle Roadhog vein that I was talking about earlier, uh, where, yeah, you're either... the It's a little like Evolve, actually, if you remember that. Old, like, you know, the, the Yeti is being hunted, but then they <laughs> can grow and become the hunter and get all of the maze. And, yeah, that, it's a good, fun, like a polished, you know, professional version of one of those uh, wacky browser modes, basically. Is it like a like an asymmetrical kind of yeah. thing? Yeah, it's it's a That's kind of a, a Winston versus a bunch of maze, as I recall. Mm. That sounds awful. <laughs> Genuinely <laughs> awful. Uh, Brian mentioned loot boxes there uh, a little earlier. Yeah. Um, so we might as well we'll talk about this. So loot boxes. Um, if you have any familiarity with uh, multiplayer shooters, especially around this area. Um, you're probably well aware of the controversy around it and the association with gambling. Um, I don't think Overwatch is the most egregious example of this. I think we would have to do an issue on Star Wars Battlefront 2 uh, <laughs> to really get into like a like a, ver- a version of it that I feel like is really despicable. Um, 
because so the, the reward I might as well list them, but the the rewards for these loot boxes are skins, emotes for the characters, victory poses, voice lines, sprays that you could spray on the wall, highlight intros which play during play of the games, and then credits to uh, buy um, some of these uh, different as- aesthetic things um, outright. Um, like and as I yeah like. All of those are aesthetic only. Um, they are all mm. about customizing your character and um, allowing the player to express themselves in certain ways. They don't actually impact the game itself. You can't buy a bunch of loot boxes and thus uh, make your your character or your you as a player more powerful than anyone else, which is why I'm a little less bothered by their inclusion here than I would be in other shooters. Um, I just find them to be a nice reward if I play enough and then I get some and say, oh, nice, I get a new skin, and and that's fine. Uh, but I do understand like them being a paid-for element of this game uh, does have some issues associated with it. Yeah, mm. so I remember this being like kind of the the start of the loot box controversy. Even though it, uh, I'm not, I, I don't think Overwatch was the first game, but um, it certainly um, it, it generates a lot of uh, opinions and and uh, like kind of like discussions about gambling and whether or not this is actual gambling or not. Um, I will say that the the sound that plays and the uh, when the loot box is opened and the visuals and everything. It sure does. It sure is a dopamine hit. There's no doubt mm-hmm. about that. You know, um, it feels good when you open one. It feels great when you get something gold in there. So it's obviously designed to tempt you to do that. And I am very fortunate, knock on wood, that I am someone who does not struggle with an addiction to such things. But I can see how this would trigger a very, um, a very similar uh, feeling for those who have problems with gambling and, and impulse control and things like that. Uh, so I so I do understand and empathize with that. Um, I always found it for me personally was always a reason to play a couple extra games at the end of a session. Like, oh, I'm almost at the next level. I'm almost mm. got that loot box. I'll play a couple more. Um, and I did become during some of the events where there were certain skins only available for that time. I did feel get that like fear of missing out feeling and and wanna engage with it. But I am fortunate enough to where I never felt the need to spend any money on loot boxes. But uh. I do understand the problematic elements with them, and I think it's a very complicated conversation. Like, like you said, Josh, when talking about other games that have utilized it, your Call of Duty World War Twos, your Star Wars Battlefront Twos, where have gotten into very problematic territory. And I feel like this was just kind of the start of that, or at least the start of the modern version of it. So, yeah, I've got I've got thoughts. I mean, like, I don't want to sort of deflect attention away from this, but like, let, let's look at the facts. So, um. Unlike its MOBA counterpoints, this is a game that has a price tag, and the price tag has remained relatively consistent throughout its actual lifespan. Like, you know, it very seldom goes on sale and actually holds its kind of, well, in the UK, around about £50 price tag for the most part. Um, I think they could have made this game a little bit more mercantile if they wanted to. Like, what's to stop them from not a lot? And it's a competitive game with the scene, but if they had put uh dlc characters behind a paywall um i would have thought that they could have done that and and let's be honest it's activision i I don't expect them to do anything but that so i think that they've probably sensed that there would be a little bit of ire that's attracted there but what i want to do is also kind of like highlight this and this is a very 
like embryonic thought of mine that I haven't really thought through and hopefully we can kind of come to some consensus. Like Blizzard have also looked at the way that loot boxes engender good behavior. So as part of an update that they put in about two years ago, you can nominate people for um, a good player award or a sportsmanship award or somebody who's been a shot caller. And the more of those you get, so so good behavior in effect will reward you with loot boxes. And I think there's something in there to do with sort of tackling some of the toxicity in the community by engendering better behaviors through that desire for loot boxes at the same time. To what extent that's been effective, I'm not sure. But it is encouraging to me to see that they've made some effort to to redress that problem that's pervasive throughout the rest of, like, it's not just MOBAs, it's pretty much all online games. I mean, I, as I said, the other Blizzard game I play is Hearthstone, which is, to some extent, pay to win because you are unlocking actual cards with powers and stuff like that. Um, and, and, like, I, I am also lucky enough to kind of not have that as a weakness where I think I've spent... I don't know, maybe $80 on Hearthstone over the last seven years, and that seems totally fair. Like, I've played a lot of it, you know, um, but but have never really had that, like, fear of missing out sort of uh, addictive cycle. And, yeah, with Overwatch, um, it's never even occurred to me uh, to – because even if I do want some particular skin, and they are nice um, – although it, I've always found it kind of funny being obsessed about skins in a first-person game. Uh, cause you don't <laughs> yeah. really get to, you know, like you just know other people are seeing you look cool. Um, but, but yeah, it, it, it seems as we were saying earlier that like, because you can switch characters during the game, unlock locking characters behind DLC or something would really stray into pay to win territory. And given that this is a game that you pay generally full whack for, or, you know, uh, it's it's not a free to play game. I yeah, I think those two on top of each other would have just seemed uh, a bridge too far. They've got like a delicate balance though, because they've set a precedent. Like this is how monetization of, of our game works at the moment. So anything that they do going forward is going to feel really noticeable. And I guess like the issue really fundamentally here is that if you desire one thing in particular, then there is no way to monetarily buy that. There's no way to right. to sort of physically go out and and make a transaction that gets you what you want it's all done through rng behind the scenes through the way that loot boxes work which just feels a little bit sinister i think all right and you can't trade there's no secondary hat market like with team fortress 2 i i do want to touch on the esports scene a little bit um um just because it's such a big part of um overwatch as a cultural force but before we get into that and I think it kind of leads into some of the uh, leads into some of the the issues that the esports stuff um, has created around the game. Um, this bit from uh, Gadget Eight Bit. Mechanically, the game has always been polished to a high sheen. Every hero was visibly unique enough to stand out in a firefight. Every weapon was pretty balanced, except OG Hanzo. Everybody, everybody hates Hanzo main. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Gadget, but um, and um, and the gunplay was joyful, but my attention for for the game eventually began to wane. I played it solidly for a couple of years, but around the time Ash was released, it started to lose its sheen. The characters began to lose their inventiveness and utility. The constant rebalancing made it hard to be unique, forcing people to play to the meta if they wanted to be victorious. I've lost count of the amount of times where someone, usually a Genji, <laughs> shouted at me 
uh, shouted at me for not conforming to the 222 when I wanted to try a unique uh, team comp. Um, eventually, the toxic toxicity in the community pushed me away. The fun gameplay stopped making up for the wantonly abusive players raging in quick play because I picked a Moira when they demanded a Mercy. It's a shame because it's an excellent shooter and can be superb dumb fun when you're in a good team. So yeah, I I wanted to read that before we talk about the esports scene because um, I do feel like a lot of the changes um, to the game, and we mentioned this be- pre- uh, previously before, are due to how you know how big the esports scene became um, and how much of the game is geared towards that. Um, so. Um, for those who are listening to this who are maybe not familiar with that stuff, there are kind of two major um, uh, Overwatch esports events. There's the Overwatch League, and then there's the Overwatch World Cup. Um, I believe that's it, unless anyone else wants to correct me on that. Um, but yeah, the, both of these are huge, really, really huge, with a lot of money and support and fans uh, behind it. Um, does anyone have any experience with this? Josh, it, it's a step beyond my comprehension, I'm afraid. There's a lot of um, strategic conversations that are, are interesting because they speak to plays and rehearsed. It's all very American football, which as the most English person in the world, uh, I think at the moment, uh, it, it, it kind of sails gracefully over my head. It breaks it down into a kind of constituent component that almost ruins the joy of playing overwatch and the emergent kind of moments and such um so i don't have any prior knowledge or any experience with it i think that it has the the capability to go away and become this massive esport is fascinating it's just perhaps not for me yeah, I, I agree completely, and that's somebody who is a massive fan of American football, Rich, so I, I completely <laughs> agree with you, though. Um, I remember it happened to be on my television one evening, um, one of the ESPNs uh, that, that was showing the Overwatch League. I'm like, oh, cool, like, I I watch games on Twitch, I you know, I I, I follow a certain monster, I'll, I'll definitely tune into this, and I, I tuned in and I found it. Um, almost incompre- incomprehensible for me. Um, I know what they were doing. I didn't find it to be a fun a fun watch uh, in in any way. And 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 the way that they were uh, covering it, it, it became very clear that the the understanding of the Overwatch League, I believe that's what I was watching in the Overwatch League, uh, moved past my own individual understanding of the game, and it, it didn't strike me as anything I was particularly interested in. And a lot of that reason comes from a lot of what uh, Gadget Eight Bit was just saying in in the correspondence is that like it kind of represented to me some of the least fun moments I had in Overwatch um the moments where I where I couldn't uh hit the mute all button quick enough um to 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 get out of the chat situation and and not that I I don't respect the high level of play it's unbelievable what the the knowledge of the characters and the way these teams work together it's, it's fascinating it's just nothing I I that appeals to me uh, from a spectator level um I'd uh yeah that's just kind of the way it is for me it it has never occurred to me to watch it as an esport or to turn on other people's microphones while playing. 
both are just absolutely <laughs> alien experiences entirely. And and it delights me to think that for the last five years, people have just been screaming at me uh, to, to switch characters or something, and I've just never even thought about it. Um, yeah, no, it, it seems fine. I once had a student, uh, they have to sort of do a pitch for a, an idea for a game, and, and they pitched a dating sim where you're managing an Overwatch team, uh, and I thought I would play that. So, yeah, uh, that's that's about the extent of my of my comprehension of it, though. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so that again, I'm I'm full of like these partially formed like embryonic thoughts at the moment. It seems like a lot of the the feedback that we're getting suggests that like that this game is elevated to this incredibly lucrative and competitive um, aspect almost compels you to be incredible at the game and that's just not a instinct that i have like i I play for pleasure and enjoyment and the aspiration to be exceptional at this game gets in the way of just genuine like altruistic human behavior and the reason that maybe like the likes of the likes of i play and like if your expectation is that way, perhaps you need a, a checkup from the neck up and have a thinker about like where you're going with your life or whatever the situation may be. But like as a as a console player, primarily on the PlayStation Four over the last what four and a half five years, I, I've never ever experienced any toxicity, and I, I wonder if the the um the interface, the, the the absence of a keyboard and and the ability to quickly grief someone and and demand healing if your genji makes it just a much more palatable experience and and a lot less hostile so i would have thought that there's probably a good deal of difference between those who play on the console and their experiences and those who play on the pc where by all accounts racism is a is a a, 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 like a genuine problem in the overwatch community yeah and and i think you you said something rich that i think is very different and it's not to smirch pc players at all but it being on the console is just one further level of removal from that and as someone who played all of my hours on console versions i i did not have to experience that myself and very often um but the times that i did it, it, it speaks to another thing that you had said just to kind of spin off of it like how about how like getting incredibly good at the game was not something that appeals to you and 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 I and I completely agree. I mean obviously you like when you're playing well and I like when I'm doing well and helping my team but but that type of Overwatch has never felt to me to be that Twitch level type of, you know, need to be headshotting and, and hitting this and my cooldowns and everything else like I, I I do approach it from much more of a fun to dip into type of perspective and that just seems to be the antithesis to where the scene is moving which is great for those people i just it's just not for me i don't think it's it's just that you know this is this is elevated to like a professional sport and obviously what comes of that is like camps where like like a martial arts fighter for example will go away and they'll sit in a room and practice practice plays and practice runs and know how to to embed things into the muscle memory and because of the prevalence of 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 twitch and the the kind of way that you can maneuver behind the scenes like your average layman will now have a a good sense of what to do and if if you're of that kind of inclination to want to compel people to do what it is that you want to do then overwatch is probably going to do that with the added anonymity of being behind a gamer tag or on whatever it is that you're playing on i think um Blizzard in particular could do a lot more to to tackle some of this by 
and I'm not here to solutionize the problems that that the Blizzard have with Overwatch, but the fact of the matter is that they have come under fire for issues to do with racism in in their game and in the community, and it seems as though they've done not a great deal to tackle that beyond rewarding perfunctory good behavior with loot boxes. Yeah. There are some structural stuff where I can see where they thought that was going to help um, a little bit. Obviously, not with the with the racism side of things. Like that, that just needs to be stamped out. Um, but in terms of like the the elitism versus people who just kind of want to play it as you know, like you use the football metaphor there, but like the the difference between not football. The martial arts metaphor there, um, where you were talking about the you know somebody who just goes away and practices it and masters it versus the person who just kind of stays at yellow belt who just wants to have a fun time. Um, like I, I think they thought that the separation between competitive and quick play would naturally create that like okay, competitive mode is for the people who are serious about this, and quick play is for the more casual players. But there's too much, um, there's too much overlap, and a lot of the competitive players are playing quick play as well, and um, kind of enforcing their kind of Michael Jordan esque kind of toxicity towards their uh, uh, teammates, um, even in that mode yeah. that you know feels like it's intended for casual play. So um, yeah, it's a shame. Mm-hmm. The competitive mode has that. I mean, Jesse, you were talking a couple of weeks ago in the Mario Kart um, show about that kind of average. It'll average oh, right. out your in yeah. in like a monitor. Excuse me, in a numerical value, which gives an indication about how good you are and pair you up with players like that. So it's no surprise that if you have a, an ability of an arbitrary value, that you're going to want to preserve that and take that behavior into a, an environment where you're not going to have that. So perhaps they need to do more to to really understand their player base and and take more accountability and responsibility for the behavior of some of the players it is tough because it is a team game you want you know you can't take the nintendo solution of just no you can't talk to each other we don't we don't trust you to do that what are you what are you thinking uh right you you do need to let teams communicate and then yeah i don't know i uh i as i said on the mario kart episode i tend to avoid playing in that kind of on like you know i don't talk to strangers uh yeah. Despite the fact that I am a stranger myself, they still scare me. <laughs> and I think games are at a point, and not to get too in the weeds here, I know we're late into the episode, but games have evolved to a point where I think we're we're moving beyond that in a lot of ways. Like, if you look at, like, like obviously communication is important in some, on these group-based games and some level, but then you have things like Apex Legends coming out with their wonderful pinging system where I can completely communicate what I'm thinking strategically without having to actually say words to another human being, and and it can it can evolve past to the point where this becomes less of an issue. It's just it's just it's so disheartening to to hear about and to and to have people that are experiencing these horrible things in these games um, when, you know, it, it's it's I, I, I don't know how to fi- I don't know how to fix it. Is that the most obvious statement in the world? I don't know how to fix this problem, but they it, it's something that needs to be addressed. And it's just something that continues being a dark part of this scene and uh, i just don't know how you i it becomes harder and harder to separate the two to be honest for me personally i'm sure they'll fix it all for two (laughs) (laughs) it'll it'll, yeah it'll be 100 percent fine in the sequel 
I want to finish out some of the uh, forum feedback that we got. If you want to get your views on any games that we cover on Kane and Rince, please head over to com slash forum. You'll find the thread for uh, the games that we're covering in there. Um, so this first post from the reviewist, Overwatch is, in my honest opinion, a game where the only way to get truly great experience is to have a solid, dependable team of allies. I was lucky enough to get a free copy of Overwatch for participating in a pre-release event for a website. Immortalizing my terrible performance at it for all time on a YouTube video, I have no wish to revisit. But if not for this, I likely would have never played what was briefly a brilliant shared experience for me and a few of my friends. I played almost nightly for the first few weeks of release, and regularly up until around the time Sombra was released, by which time it had lost some of its appeal. Don't mistake me, the occasionally changing roster of characters and new maps that now and then dropped did spike my enjoyment and engagement a little, but nothing could quite get me over the fundamentally broken issue of the community. It's not toxic, but I noticed that it, if I wanted a quick game, I'd find the matches littered with people mucking about, Maze screwing over their own teams <laughs> with ice walls, the people charging straight in instead of using anything even resembling tactics. The counterside being that if you didn't have a regular squad to play, lumping in with others could be hit or miss, and more often than not, I'd find myself and a pal teaming up with parties of strangers who would dictate strategy and make sweeping decisions on who everyone should play as. Ultimately, that's a problem of all looking for group experiences, but in the end, it's what killed Overwatch for me. Halo Fandango says, This is a really fun game. It has such a diverse set of characters and the matches are always quick and frantic. A personal favourite character of mine is Sigma, since his character theme of gravity is very appealing and his ultimate gravitic flux is endlessly satisfying. Placing people helplessly in the air is so much fun. I'm certainly looking forward to what they cook up in Overwatch 2. Obviously, the culture and news coming out of Activision Blizzard hasn't been necessarily positive as of late, but I do hope they can make some changes internally and turn the company around. Carl DeFrog says, Overwatch has a pretty terrible reputation for its community, but I would like to shout out the streamer Evil Toaster for having a great community. With him and the Twitch chat, as a kind of model citizen, I now tend to handle the slurs and abusive chat behaviours with a calm, would you like to rephrase that? And gently explaining that women, gay people and people of colour are all people who deserve to have the same play space. And by using certain words or actions, you are denying people a right to be themselves. Surprisingly, it's about 50-50 whether I get an apology or not. I have no doubt that my deep, traditionally masculine-sounding dad-like voice influences that, but it's something to note. If you have the ability to speak up for people, you should, 
<laughs> Blizzard. Um, Overwatch isn't a game I'd recommend anyone get into now, not just because Overwatch 2 is likely to release soon, and I desperately hope most of their efforts have been on creating better infrastructure to address the social issues that plague this highly social game, but because the community just isn't conducive to new players. It's genuinely difficult to learn new characters without getting yelled at by your teammates, even in quick play, where theoretically it should all just be for fun. It's a hard game where your mistakes affect other players greatly, and their mistakes affect yours. But if you can find a group of like-minded individuals to group up with and play your own organized games with, it can be a wonderfully chaotic social esport. That was well said. Yeah, well said. Right, that's it for the forum posts. Next, we've got our free word reviews. If you want to send us a free word review, look out on our Canaan uh, Rinse Twitter account, at Canaan Rinse. Uh, we do a shout-out on the day of recording, so keep an eye out. Um, so, yeah, let's go with uh, go into our three-word reviews. <clears throat> All right, here we go. Scott Bodenhammer says, It's high noon. <laughs> I'm so glad that you got that one. <laughs> Father Hank says, Aim not necessary. Uh, Michael uh, Maloney says, uh, Nerf this, boom! Craig McAdams says, so many characters. Jason Finelli says, watch the payload. Twitter Critter says, heroes never die. Nice. Thank you, everyone who contributed. And lastly, we've got our summaries. Brian, why don't you start us off? Um, I don't know how much uh, I have left to say about Overwatch. Uh, we've, we've talked a lot about it over the last couple hours, and I just think it it's just a wonderful game that, did, that has just accomplished a lot uh i think it really expanded my own personal views of what a multiplayer shooter can be especially on a console this game uh really bridged um or you know went went over new ground and 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 did a lot of things in games that i personally wasn't familiar with uh the team building aspect the character shooter uh just the the way that it, it powers kind of work together and, and team dynamics work together to, to, to accomplish these goals. I really enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed it more than I had any other multiplayer shooter. Um, and it, it's almost a disservice to call it that. It, it's, a, it's a hero shooter. A lot of different names have been kind of uh, assigned to it, but it really, it's partly a character action game. It, it just has all these different elements, and... When thinking of video games moving forward, do I want the landscape of multiplayer games to look like your Call of Duties or to look like Overwatch? I, I'm picking Overwatch 10 times out of 10. It just offers such a unique and different experience. It's bright and vibrant, and, I, and, and a lot of the characters just feel so cool and unique to play. I, it's just the type of game that I want to play more than a lot of other multiplayer shooters, and I think that's... I think it's really cool. I'm really glad it exists. I'm excited to see what they do with two. Um, I also uh, completely agree with the last correspondent, and and there are problematic elements that need to be addressed. And I really am looking forward to see how they attempt to solve those problems moving forward. And uh, yeah, Overwatch is a game that still feels great to play, even if I'm only dipping in from time to time to just kind of see what's new. Jesse. Yeah, I. 
I don't know how much more I have to say it, because it is it, it's a game that rewards a medium amount of attention. And I respect that a lot. <laughs> um, as I said, like, like with Arson, I think this is just the thing that Blizzard does extremely well. Even uh, my main experience playing a MOBA is putting in, I don't know, four or five hours into Heroes of the Storm. You know, one of their one of their lesser works that that attempted to do the same sort of streamlining and and colorifying uh, for MOBAs. But but it did help me get a feel for what those games are about in a way that I found way more accessible than, you know, Dota or League of Legends. And and um, and the same with, you know, Hearthstone. I, I recently went back to uh, they released a new Magic the Gathering app. And as much as I I love that game and admire Richard Garfield, it just found it feels very clunky and old and fiddly compared to just the smooth UI and everything has a nice sound effect. And it's, you know, and, and I think this is just blizzard is incredibly good at, um, colorful, chunky, full of juice, accessible, you know, taking sort of existing game concepts, uh, and, and making them appeal to the swing voters like me, right? Someone who, Who's, who wasn't inclined to buy it, but when some of their friends or students or whatever, and, you know, they want to be part of the conversation, I'll be like, okay, I'll, I'll give that a shot. Um, and, and from my perspective, you know, uh, it works perfectly, maybe better than from someone who's more invested in it, because I don't notice uh, other people talking or loot boxes or, you know, other, other aspects to it that are more problematic. Um, but, but yeah, you know, uh, good job. And, and, I have no desire right now to buy Overwatch 2, but I probably will because everyone around me will. And I'll be like, yeah, I want to play that with people. Sure. <laughs> Rich. So, like, Overwatch is a success. Obviously, it's Blizzard's first new IP in, what, 18 years or so before that. And, and the fact that it kind of went on to be, like, such a kind of commercial success is 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 laudable. And I applaud them for that. Like, the way that I feel about it, like I use Kane and Rinse as a way to kind of consolidate my thoughts on games. So if I'm on a podcast, that's usually my opportunity to wrap up my experience and my relationship with that game and just get all my thoughts into one place and tie it in a nice neat bow before I put it into the big old warehouse where the Ark of the Covenant is. Um, You know, it's it's really difficult because I love this game. It's like on my epic shelf um, and I've had to do some almost like soul searching to try and understand how this game comes with a level of toxicity that I haven't experienced and can I really countenance recommending this game when Blizzard have got a lot of work to do to, to rectify that and ultimately I think there's a lot of things that you can do as an individual to mitigate against some of the toxicity but it's a real shame that it comes on the responsibility of the player to do that so i'd like to think that before overwatch 2 comes out blizzard really takes a little bit more responsibility and accountability for that and and does some good stuff there i mean like just on the individual level like i have evenings when i'm playing overwatch and i can't hit a barn door with a banjo and then i have other evenings where like i seem to transcend into this like beyond material humanity and into this gaming god where i'm able to somehow read every single game and make critical decisions that end up in a position where everything gets like won and and i think that's reflected probably by a lot of other people um honestly i think if you want to get into overwatch at this point it's probably better off maybe waiting because it's a game that doesn't necessarily depreciate but like for everybody who continues to play and perhaps wants to pick it up but is a little bit nervous about that, just temper your expectation and, and really understand the things that you can do to limit some of that negative behavior. I promise you that if you pick it up, you're, you're in for a good evening, even if you are 
like right on that 50 percent percentile like i am um you're going to get something good out of it so yeah i i usually have um a life cycle with multiplayer games and and overwatch is no different i i'm madly madly in love with them close to launch uh they become something i dip dip into every once in a while and then i just slowly lose track of it and and no longer feel engaged with the game at all and even though yes overwatch has definitely fallen into that like i don't think um until the sequel comes out i'm really going to be revisiting this original game um that often um i still treasure those memories and i still treasure the time that i've i've had with it um and i think it's absolutely unquestionably uh, one of my favorites in this particular class of multiplayer game even outstripping team fortress 2 which i think um uh i went with us you know went down a similar trajectory with that but i think the game uh that team fortress 2 is now is significantly worse than the game it once was whereas i think overwatch now is still pretty pretty great um yeah, I'm looking forward to Overwatch 2, and I'd only be repeating all the points that everyone else has made uh, regarding the social issues. It needs to get fixed, no question. Um, but yeah, I love this game. Cool. All right, all that remains for me to do, Joshua Garrity, your host for this issue, is to thank Brian to thank Jesse and to thank Rich uh, for um, joining me in this fantastic issue um, and all the correspondence for your forum feedback and your free word reviews. And of course, all of you listening at home right now. And I'd love to thank um, Editor Jay as well for doing a fantastic job on that. Uh, next time in issue 470... Uh, we continue our exploration and analysis of squash, squash and stretch uh, animation in Jack and Daxter, The Precursor Legacy. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>